Let's get into this and chew on this together. God, as we study, be here in this place, awaken us, deliver us from slumber and being overcome by sleep because your word is life. Your word is true. And we don't want to miss a thing in your name. Amen. When you come to church services, when you come to gatherings, what do you expect? Don't answer. Just think. When you go to church tonight, Sunday, what do you expect? Don't answer out loud. Just think. What do you hope for? When you go to a church service, what are you hoping for? Why do you come? Good. I see you guys thinking. Don't answer out loud, but just answer those questions in your mind. I mean, what is a church service? Why is it on Sunday? Why do we do anything that it is that we do? You ever wonder those questions? For a kid that grew up in church, I wish I wrestled with those questions when I was your guys' age. I wish I had the time to actually pause and think, like, yeah, why do we go to church? What's the point? Why Sunday? Why is he talking? Why are we singing? Why are we praying? Why, why, why? You know? Growing up in church, I didn't wrestle with these questions too much until I actually became a believer. It wasn't actually until I actually started reading the Bible that I started to actually think more critically about what happens at a gathering, at a Christian gathering. I remember um, being in high school, I started to attend all kinds of churches at the same time. I actually served at four of the five I was attending at the same time. I was serving in some way, shape, or form. I was just like kind of spread. I was all over the place. But something that was kind of running in my mind that I didn't realize I was doing, but subconsciously, I was, I was kind of even uh, critiquing or, or, or wondering which church is doing it right, which church is doing it the best. And, um, you know, and I was judging a lot of the, the services based upon how bumping it was, how, much, how bumping it felt, or how, how, how excited it got me, or uh, the type of people that were coming, and, and, and either how full or how not full. Or what, I started to think these things. Like, I wonder, you know, out of the five churches that I'm attending, out of the five services I'm going to, which one's the best? And I think that's a wrong question that I realized as a young man. I should have been asking this question, which one is biblical? Like, the question I should have been asking is, what does God want from a church service? The question I should have been asking is, what does God expect? What does God desire this gathering, especially the Sunday gathering, is to be like? See, tonight is an exciting text, not because this kid falls out of a window. Um, it's an exciting text because you and I, we get to, as we study through this, sit in on a Christian church service, a legit Christian church service. Now, I mentioned this in observation time. This is not like a, 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 a prescriptive text to tell us what we need to do at church and how we need to do it all the time. It's not like, okay, we got to get lamps. Uh, we got to go to a third story and we got to make sure we go till midnight. And, you know, that's not what this text is doing. But what the text is showing us is there's a, there's a lot of principles that we can draw from this church service. So as we read through it, we're going to sit in on a, on, a, on a Christian church service. And I just want you to kind of see 
my whole, my big aim, and if you have the, the notes, Christy put it out, the title of the message is, is Christ-centered church service. Because my hope and prayer is that as we look at this, you and I would see how at the church at Trust, the local church in the book of Acts, I mean, Christian service was all about Christ. And we're going to see in principle and even in detail how the church normatively functioned in such a way that, the, that, that Jesus and the apostles taught that our church services are supposed to be like that. And if a church, a Christian church service is Christ-centered, then the Christians that come, if you're a Christian tonight, meaning not if you go to church, that's not what I'm asking. If you're a Christian, if you know that within your heart, in your being, Christ and his word, you're, he's alive in you. You have repented of your sins. You're convinced your old life without Jesus, nah, forget that. I'm over it. When Sister Camille got baptized this Sunday, that's what she dramatized. My old life without Jesus, I'm, dead. I'm done with it. This new life in Christ, yeah, he's everything. He's, he's my Lord. He's my life. He's my Savior. And you've repented. You've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins that you believe. You believe in a dead man coming back to life, Christian. You ever think about it like that? Like, that's what you believe. And you sing to him. You sung to him just 10 minutes ago. If that's you, if you're Christian, follower of Christ, then when you show up at a church service and it's all about Christ, you can't help but leave the very end of the, 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 the passage. They left not, they left greatly comforted, greatly encouraged. And it's not just because Eutychus is alive. We're going to see. It's because they just had a whole all-nighter of Jesus. A whole all-nighter with other Jesus followers. And they were all pointed to Jesus. Christian services must remain all about Jesus. We're going to walk through this, and I'm just going to plow away point after point about how this church service pointed them to Christ. Okay? You ready? Let's go. Verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we gathered. Pause. First day of the week. What day is that? That's right. You wonder why we worship on Sunday? This was the normative pattern in the church, but not just because they picked the first day, because the first day is more better than the second day. No. Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through 6. It was the first day of the week. At early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they'd prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. You filling in where we're at? This is Easter. The first day of the week, the women woke. They went. The stone was rolled away. They found an empty tomb on the first day. Verse 4, they were perplexed. Two men stood by them, dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. The first day brings us back to that resurrection moment. We worship every Sunday, 
Easter is not just one Sunday of the year we build up to the resurrection. It's every single Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. It's Resurrection Sunday. That day is holy. It's special because it brings us back to the whole purpose of this day. The resurrection of Christ. And they did this every week. It was a weekly reminder. Here's the first point. Christ-centered church services point to the resurrection of Christ. And one of the ways we do that is by meeting on the first day, the Lord's Day. 1 Corinthians 16.2 gives us this hint that this was normative in the early church to this day, 2,000 years ago to now, that on the first day of the week, they met. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 to 4, Paul says, I delivered this to you, first importance. And I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Don't confuse that with the first day. The third day, Friday, he died. One, two, three, Sunday, he's risen. This is so important to never forget at church, I want to be told about the resurrection. I want to be reminded that when I die, if in Christ, I live. I'm so thankful the Lord allowed me to, to, to yesterday share some of the last moments of my good friend as he breathed his last. And he went on by God's grace into glory. But sitting there, praying with him, reading to him scripture with tears, and just looking at him fade, literally die. I couldn't help but just read to him and remind him. He is the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in him, though they die. You know what we all got in common? You're going to die, so am I. But you know what Christ has done? He overcame the grave. I don't want to be numb to that. See, a Christ-centered church points to the resurrection because it's the greatest reality. It's the most important thing. First importance, Paul said. When I show up at church, I expect to be reminded of the resurrection. When I wake up on a Sunday morning, the first thought in my mind is not what shirt should I wear to church. It should be, this is Sunday. This is resurrection day. This is the Lord's day. And he's risen. You know what you got to tell yourself every morning you wake up? That the king you pray to, he's really alive. It's weird how that's hard to believe sometimes. My friend just died. And it's so hard to believe he's dead. How greater is it hard to believe that he's alive? Like I think to myself, for the disciples, after that first resurrection Sunday, they still struggled with belief. Because it's so like, what? He's alive? Sometimes in prayer, I need to pause and just tell myself again and again, you're alive. Like you're real. You're really real. When we sang to Christ, we were singing to a risen Savior. He lives to intercede over us right now. 
He's present in spirit. And he, our king, is coming again. Sunday is a day for the Christian to look up with other Christians and look at each other and say, king's coming. Our God's not dead. Christ-centered church services point to this. And one of the ways in which we point to it is we gather on the first day of the week. First day. Before we move on, I hope to actually encourage you, brother, sister, if you are a Christian, look at Sunday's gathering differently. I mean, I'm encouraging you guys come on Wednesday. Any gathering is holy because it's Christ. But the first day of the week, it is a special day. It is the Lord's day. So when your friends or your classmates ask you or your coworkers or your bosses, why do you want to get off on Sunday? You can tell them. It's the Lord's day. What does that mean? Well, it's the day that he rose from the grave. I'm going to go worship him. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together, it moves on to break bread. In observation time, Victor hit it on the nail. This is, speaking of the Lord's Supper, communion, This is the supper they took to remember the death of Christ. Second point, Christ-centered church services proclaim the death of Christ. You know, we were just discussing this this past week in our pastor's meeting because it's been on the table and we're like, you know, we, we have communion at our church quarterly, but we're like, we need to do this more regularly. And so we're praying and we're moving in the direction of having this done more regularly in our Sunday gatherings. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they, when the church first began, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and the breaking of bread. Luke, I mean, 1 Corinthians 11, 18, it says, In the first place, when you come together as a church, and then later in verse 23, it says, I received from the Lord that I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus and on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. That's why they call it the breaking of bread. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, this is what they're doing. You're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. This is a holy supper. It's a sacred supper. It's precious. It's a family meal only for the believers. Why? Because when we take the bread and the cup, we're remembering the broken body, the blood shed, the death of Christ, and remembering what he purchased in that death. What he accomplished by his death. It's not a small thing. See, when I show up at a church service, I want to be pointing to the resurrection and I want to be pointing to the death of Christ. And I want to be reminded, that John Owen would say, the death of death in the death of Christ. When Christ died, when he breathed his last and he said it is finished, you know what crazy things happen, church? 
my soul, your souls were redeemed, were purchased, were chosen, were saved. That's what happens. That's what's supposed to go on in our hearts and minds when we have the supper, when we take, and it's exciting this Sunday, we have communion. We must not forget these things. We're, we're living in times where these, this particular thing is less and less pointed to and spoken at in Christian services around the world. It's too gory, blood, blood, blood. Too much blood. Don't talk about that. You can never speak too much about the blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. We ought to stare and stare and stare at the passion and the suffering that Christ endured on the tree. In love, he bled and died. See, Christ-centered church services, they proclaim the death of Christ. Let's keep going. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Talked. Dialegomai, where we get dialogue. It's the same word used all through the book of Acts in 17 and 18 and 19 as he reasoned from the scriptures, as he reasoned and spoke in the synagogues, as he spoke boldly persuading about the kingdom. It's all the same Greek word. What's happening is Bible study, no doubt. When it says the apostle Paul was talking, when the apostle Paul prolonged his speech, this is preaching and teaching time. See, third point, a Christ-centered church service, they study the word of Christ. They point to the resurrection of Christ. They proclaim the death of Christ in communion. And they study the word of Christ. What we're doing now, what we do on Sundays. Parts of this sermon was formal like this. And in other parts, we'll see later was informal, was Q&A style. But this church service, and like we talked about an observation, started around 6, 7-ish. The preaching kept going till midnight. And I promise you, I'm not going to go till midnight. But it's just, think about that. Think about that. When I show up at a church service, I expect to get into the Word of God. And young people, I want to speak to you as, as life goes on and you travel, you go to school. I know we have college students, you know, um, as God takes you around the place, when you show up at churches, you would be surprised how little and less and less and less of the book is being given. When in fact, the opposite must happen. We must give more and more and more to the book. It is the word of Christ. First Timothy 4.13, it says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture to exhortation and teaching. 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word. Why? Why so much Bible? Romans 10, 13 to 17 says this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how can they call on the name of the one whom they've not believed? How are they going to believe on him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they've not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the word of Christ, Christ Christ-centered church services, study, preach, and teach the word of Christ. If you visit a church and it's halfway through the service and they didn't open a page, get squirmy, get uncomfortable. For if you're a Christian, you will be. If you're a Christian, you will be. I might, when I go on vacation regularly every year, I love to visit churches. Wasn't my recent one, maybe a couple years ago, uh, Sam and I we were visiting a church and um, I was just thinking, wow, okay. I really, I, I just, I'm excited to get in the word. Here we go. There's a title of a message. Here we go. And I'm like waiting. I'm like, here we go. And then the service goes on and I'm like, oh, here we go. By the time it's like three quarters to the service, we didn't even open the Bible yet, but the pastor's been preaching. I'm like, you know what, babe, we got to go. Because <laughs> what? I'm a, I want to hear the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. This is what church is supposed to be, guys. What we're supposed to do, what's supposed to happen at a Christ-centered church service. There's a lot of services out there that say Christ. But how do we test that? Well, here's a great text. Are they preaching the word of God? And are you hearing the gospel of Christ? Let's keep rolling. Verse Eight. So here we go. There's many lamps in the upper room that were gathered. Now, this is just super encouraging because this is a packed house. I would argue, and some other commentators argue, it was so packed that Brother Eutychus had to hop on the windowsill. Now, there's speculation there. I mean, I don't know if he's the kind of young guy that was like, no, 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 you go sit here. I'll go sit over here. And he just wanted to, he, he was like Isaiah, Isaiah King. Isaiah would have been sitting on the windowsill, probably like perched like that, yeah. But, you know, we don't know if that was the type of personality he had. Maybe all the lamps, he just got real stuffy with all that wax and stuff in the air. He's just like, I just need some fresh air. Just let me sit right here. We don't know, but there's a good chance. It says many. There's many lamps. And I just love that. I think the many lamps reflects the hearts of the people that were gathered in that place. They were, they were, they were there. Don't, don't, don't think that this was Paul who was just super long-winded and he just kept going and going. And then there was a lot of people that are just enduring like, oh, come on, cause, oh, bro, it's like 10 o'clock already. You know, like had a long day of work. No, I think they was in it. They were so in it. They were like, let's bring our lamps. Let's burn these to you. There was dialogue. This was a church that was hungry for the word of God. Best believe it. Now, with that said, there was a young man. Had to be a young man, huh? Named Eutychus. Anyone want to take a guess what his name means? Never mind looking at your study Bible notes. His name means fortunate. <laughs> Isn't that kind of funny? Fortunate. Unfortunately, <laughs> he falls. But anyway, look at this. Young man named Eutychus, whose name, whose name means fortunate, and he was sitting at the window. Now, let's just pay close attention to these things. He sank into a deep sleep. You guys been there? Hopefully no one's sinking right now. 
If you're sinking, it's all good. At least you're here, right? I mean, Eutychus, at least brother was there. And he made it till midnight. I know for you young guys, that's nothing. Right? You're like, midnight, easy. Even it's actually some of you older guys, I know, nocturnal people. But Eutychus was sitting in the windowsill and he was sinking, sank into a deep sleep. And then look, Paul talked still longer. You ever been at church like that? I know I have. Sinking and brother keeps going. Um, now look at this word, though. It says, and he being overcome by sleep. I don't think Luke is trying to describe Eutychus in a negative way. I don't think so. I mean, one, he's a young man and he's a church and he's been there till midnight eating up the word of God. Right on, bro. But look, the word sinking, the word that sleep overcame, it gives us this picture. Eutychus was fighting. He was doing this at the window seal. You know, like he's probably looking out at the window like, ah, ah, come back in. Trying to just keep himself up. He's fighting it. He's fighting it. And then it says, sleep overcame him and he fell. I can't help but think of the disciples praying in the garden and in the sleep just kind of overcame, right? What did Jesus tell them? Spirit's willing, but the, that's something we can learn here. I think all of us are in that boat. Our spirits are willing. We come on Sunday, we come on Wednesday, we come because we want Jesus. But if we're honest, most of the time, oh, flesh is weak. Be encouraged by Eutychus and him falling asleep. Because he is a picture for us of what we are in our state right now. We are weak. We are in our flesh. But everything within us, does it not still say, I'm here. I need this. I want this. I think this is Eutychus. And anyway, he's overcome by sleep and God and his... Sovereignty allows him to fall, and he fell three stories, Lauren. That's crazy, right? Yeah. And then taken up dead. Now, there's varying views on this. People will argue, like, oh, maybe, you know, he wasn't all dead because Paul said there's still life in this. I lean more on the idea the doctor Luke is recording this, and the doctor deems him dead. I think he's dead, right? Verse 10, Paul went down, bent over him. Very much imitating, I think, Elijah and those who went such, right? Those of you familiar with those stories, Elijah and the widow's son threw himself on the body and came back to life. But he goes down, bends over, takes up his arms and said, don't be alarmed. There's life in him. So he's dead and now he's alive. Holy moly. Can you imagine if that happened at one of our services? If anyone was sleeping, they're awake now. Don't you think? I mean, gosh, at midnight, if anyone else other than Eutychus was nodding, maybe the parents because they didn't see him sitting, sleeping. Um, everyone's awake now. But here's the point that I want to see as we move on. Christ-centered church services, they witness the power of Christ. This is a young man that came, and in his weakness, he fell. And because we all are weak and flesh and sinners, we die. He died. But God is so good and so gracious to manifest his power in raising this kid back to life. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 18. What I want you before we read. Just stay focused. I mentioned this in observation time. But I'm going to re-mention it again. Paul did not raise this young guy from the grave. It was the power of Christ. All the miracles in the book of Acts is done by the power of Christ. 
Now think, you came to this church service at Troas and you heard about the resurrection of Christ because we're gathering here on Sunday. You heard about the death of Christ in communion. And now you get to see a glimpse of the power of Christ in the life, in the personal testimony of a young man. See, at a Christ-centered church service, what I expect to see is the power of Christ at work in the, in the membership here, in the lives and the testimonies of those who are gathered. This is what's being on display right now. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. I suffered the loss of all things. I count everything rubbish to gain Christ, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Then he says this in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know resurrection power. Acts 1.8. That's a saving power, a witnessing of the, sa- the evangelistic power of God. A resurrecting power. I want to know that. This church is hearing all about death to life, and then they get to see a glimpse of it right in front of them. How crazy is that? We may not see someone fall from a third story and die and come back to life in a bit, but I can go down the row right here and look at person to person because I know most of your testimonies, and that is resurrection power. There was a time in life where Trevor did not love Christ. He did not know him. He did not care to know him. He was dead in his trespasses and sin. He followed the course of this world. He lived the, the, the typical local boy life, just chasing waves and other stuff. That's all he wanted. He was dead. He could do nothing to turn himself, nothing to raise his interest heavenward. And then something happened. The power of Christ came upon him in the preaching of the word of Christ and illumined his mind. Something was open. He realized how wretched he was, how ruined he is, how lost he is, how much he needs help and he needs a savior. And he's hearing of someone who's lived sinlessly, perfectly, and died in his place. And he did this in love. He did it personally. He chose Trevor. He knew him before the foundations of the world. He's been thinking a long time about Trevor before he came into existence. And he went to the tree and he died so that he might purchase him and bring him back. And he said, take him home. And now Trevor is who he is. And he prays the way he prays and he lives the way he lives. That's resurrection power. See, when I come to a Christ-centered church service, I'm not interested in, in seeing polished performing people who try to impress each other by looking good and looking better and acting better and being more successful and trying to live a healthy lifestyle. I expect to see people who are dead and now they're alive. I expect to see people like me who I care less about reading and now I love reading because it's about Christ. I expect to see people who are so bound in sin and pornography and drugs and addictions and whatever it is the the stream storyline is of the world they're so g- gone in it 
And then at the power of Christ coming on them, taking hold, saving them from the most darkest of places and hours, and seeing them repent and turn to Christ. And the only way we can explain it is God. See, a Christ-centered church service witnesses the power of Christ. And it's not with how loud the, the music is. It's not how, how, how charismatic and wild people get when they're singing the Jesus song. No, it's a, it's a transformed life. Little did Eutychus know that he was going to be an illustration to Paul's main point. Little did he know. Can you imagine if Paul was preaching about the resurrection in that moment? Like, came, he lived, he died in this and this, and he's the fulfillment of all the scriptures and blah, 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 blah. And then poof, he hears the clatter. People are screaming. People are crying. People are running down. Right as he's talking about the power of Christ to raise the dead to life. Can you imagine? He throws himself on the body of that young man and breath comes back. Wow. I don't think people were walking back up the stairs to Bible study thinking, oh, Eutychus is so insane. <laughs> oh, you heard Eutychus's testimony. Eutychus is not. I think they were walking up the stairs being like, oh my gosh, Jesus is real. Like, oh my gosh, this is real. He's alive. That's a Christ-centered church service. The power of Christ, man. Revelation 19 says this, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. The church went home that evening in awe of the power of Christ. Let's keep going. Verse 11, and when Paul had gone up and broken bread, now finally they had the Lord's Supper eaten. He conversed with them a long while. So now it's not so much of a formal preaching. It's kind of like if that just happened, we came back in here and we're just, we're just talking now. We're, we're dialoguing. We're, we're, we're getting into the word. We're asking questions and answers. And it's kind of like how after we have fellowship time, some of you, you're talking, you're praying, you're, 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 you're getting involved with what we just heard. And he conversed with them a long time until daybreak. And then they departed. Verse 12, they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. In other words, they were greatly comforted. Next point, Christ-centered church services greatly encourage Christians. That might sound like, uh, duh, but no. If it's Christ-centered, then it really does encourage Christians. Remember when I told you I used to go visit a bunch of churches and stuff and I, I was participating a lot? Most of them, I left feeling super encouraged. Feel it pumped, like, oh, yeah. But it wasn't until I actually started to get grounded into Christ and who he was and his word that if I were to go visit some of those ministries, those Christian ministries now, I wouldn't leave encouraged. I would leave being told that I got to be better and then feeling depressed. I would leave thinking that I'm not as happy or into it as he or she is and something. I if it's not Christ-centered, if it doesn't point me to Christ, 
See, as a Christian, that's all that I need. That's all that I want. And if you're going to encourage a Christian heart, then in your service, it's got to be all about Christ. From the first prayer we pray to the songs we choose to sing, to the words that are taught and preached, to the conversations that happen. Don't think that they were just encouraged because Eutychus is back. They're encouraged because they had an all-nighter of Christ-centered worship. Guys, it's, temp- we, it's possible, it's very possible for us to make the gatherings something else. Matthew 21, Jesus entered the temple and he drove out and um, all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them this, it's written, my house, note that, my house, this is God's house, this is God's church, it's his gathering, it's his body, he's the head, it's his bride. And he says it shall be called the house of prayer, but you made it, dot, 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 a den of robbers. We made it something else. We have no right to tell his bride to wear something else. We have no right to change things up and modify the house. It's not our house. And this is why, if you're truly Christian, and you were to come into a gathering that is anything but Christ-centered, something should feel wrong. Something should feel off. You wouldn't leave that time encouraged. You would leave discouraged. So you're telling me it's possible to have a Christian service and it'd be totally Christless? It's possible to, to whip up a Christian ministry thing and, and there be not really a lot of Jesus. Well, Jesus says it's possible. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you let me in, I'd come and be with you. Evangelists would use that to call the non-believer, but that's written to the church. Is Jesus standing outside the door? It's possible, guys. So as we grow as a church, may we have the humility and the teachability to be corrected by God's word in making sure all of our corporate gatherings have Christ at the center in everything we do. Resurrection, the death, the preaching of his word, everything we do. Let's close. Verse 13 to the end. But going on ahead of the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. So he had arranged and intending himself to go by land. So he put them on the boat and he's like, you know, I'm going to walk. So he has his walk by himself. Not too sure why. Maybe he wanted for prey. I don't know. Uh, Maybe he just needed to have some alone time. Verse 14. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on the board and went to um, Mytilene. Sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. Verse 16, Paul decided to set sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. And 
he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So remember, we talked about this in observation. Paul, I mean, God had put it on Paul's heart to want to encourage the church in Jerusalem. And he had an idea to be a great encouragement to them. It was a great idea. And he did a lot of work. And there was a lot of bumps along the way, like, like just things happened, things came up. But what we see here that Luke is noting is Paul didn't quit. He didn't give up. He's like, I'm going to get there. I missed um, Passover, but I hope I can get there by Pentecost. That's really neat. And I really love that about Paul. Last point, it will be Paul, but great encouragement requires great endurance. I just want to remind us that um, last week's message was a lot about being an encouragement, strengthening the saints. And I just want us to see here in this little note that to truly be an encouragement to your Christian brothers and sisters, it's hard work. This is, Paul is, at any point he could have been discouraging. You know what, maybe this whole gift thing was a bad idea. Just, let's, just, let's just call it quits already. All of us in this place, when we come to church, we have a great opportunity to actually encourage each other and encourage each other in Christ. Not just by hitting each other, hey, suck it up, or it'll, it's, it's all going to be fine. No, but actually pointing each other to like the faith. And I'm telling you guys, it's going to be hard work. It's going to require great endurance. I'll read this passage in closing, Romans 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good and build him up. For Christ did not please himself as it is written. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And then he says again in verse 5, the God of endurance and encouragement would grant you guys to live in such harmony in accordance with Christ. Encouragement is going to take great endurance. Not just corporately as a church, but as individuals. Corporately as a church, it's going to create, take great endurance. Remember our study through Titus? We've got to be all of us, all the members on board. We've got to be down. Sound doctrine. We're going to hold down. We're going to preach Christ. We're going to talk about the resurrection. We're going to talk about the death of Christ. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're not going to, we're not going to cave in to all the, the voices that are telling us that that's, that's old and traditional and unpopular and people are not going to want to come. It's going to be kind of, nah, this is what Jesus said to do. And we're going to keep doing it his way until he pours out his spirit and boom, Eutychus kind stuff happens. Eutychus kind testimonies is going to happen at the prayer meeting. And it's happening. I know it's happening in our church. It's exciting. And people will be brought to Christ. And when we gather week after week, regardless of how the rest of this year goes, the rest of life goes. We're going to all come week after week and remind each other and encourage each other like this. We may die this week. I may not see you next Wednesday. But don't you for a moment think that that's it. Because though we die, yet shall we rise. That is the only thing that could have given me so much comfort and peace as I looked at my friend in the eyes. And prayed with him. To think. That by God's grace. As you enter into glory. I will see you again. This is not goodbye. 
This is everything, guys. Life and death. Christ-centered Christian church services. Resurrection, death, word of Christ, power of Christ, all glory to Christ. Let's keep encouraging each other these ways. Let's not change it up. Amen? Let me pray for us, and we'll be about. Father, as we close now this evening and as we fellowship with each other, please remind us of how real you are, how real this faith is. As we hear of shootings and as the the, the day-to-day casualties of life, such as cancer and sickness or whatever it is, freak accidents or old age, Death is a reality, and so is the resurrection. This is of first importance. Christ came, and he died, and he was buried, and he's risen. Praise be to God for this truth. Let all of our services preach this loudly. Let us believe in it. And let us be transformed by it. May we all share now in the resurrection, the power of the resurrection of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay.